Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. We are back on Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow across the Outkick Network. I'm Chad Withrow, Jonathan Hutton. He'll be back with us on Monday. I'm titling this episode of the show Withrow and Friends because we've got a great list of guests throughout today's show getting into a variety of big topics. And this next guest will not disappoint. Shannon Terry, founder of On3 Sports, good friend of the show, in studio with us right now. We're going to get into... A long-form discussion on what to expect with NIL, Transfer Portal, what's next in college sports, and we're going to get into all the issues. Shannon, kind enough to join us here in our downtown Nashville studios with 6th and Peabody. Shannon, how are you, man? I'm doing great. Trip out west, oh, look good. Wyoming, baby. It was you awesome. said mountains in the summer, that's the way to go. It's the way to go. Jackson Hole took my two little boys there, and we did it all. The humidity here is a little bit different than I'm sure out in Jackson Hole. Um, that's uh, something that's definitely going on right now. Uh, things are hot right now for Livy Dunn. She's doing very well. She's loving life, and uh, she is making over $500,000 per sponsored post. Something that you guys do at On3 Sports, Shannon, is you give an NIL valuation to every college athlete, and um, you were pretty close on Livy Dunn. I'm sure people probably thought you were crazy at first, but you were pretty spot on with what she's worth in the open market. Yeah, I mean, we've done a good job. Um, you know, most of her formula isn't based on performance. It's based on her social influence. Yeah. And that number, um, I think, has um, actually, it's being, I know it's being used and been been used in negotiations and as a guide for, you know, what she can command in the marketplace. And I can't, I don't have it in front of me, but she's either, what, the second or third highest valued college athlete, high school athlete right now, uh, right behind uh, Bronny James. And I see people get upset with this in some way. And I know you and I have met Livy. She's a nice young lady. Um, I, I don't understand people getting upset for this reason. I, I can understand to some extent, I guess, you know, though, oh, well, this is going to corrupt the sport even more. And, you know, players are going to want more money to stay or more money to leave and all that. Okay, whatever. But this is what the rule was invented for, right? I mean, this is a, a young woman, a young athlete using her own name, image, and likeness to profit, which any other person can do uh, in America right now. And now athletes can do it. She's not getting – you mentioned she's not getting paid to stay on the gymnastics team at LSU. That's not why she's getting paid. She's getting paid because she's really good at marketing products and she's got a huge social media following. Here's the deal, okay? If you don't like what she's doing as it relates to NIL, you're just an angry person. Because this is the in total purest form of NIL name image likeness is happening in her career right now. I mean, she's going she's gonna to pick up more than $3 million in income this year from, through endorsements deal, endorsement deals. Nothing to do with collectives, nothing to do you know, pay for play or any of that stuff. And so, but for some reason, you know, it, it bothers some people because the NCAA has beat into the heads of fans and boosters for so many years, for so many decades this concept around, you know, being an amateur and, you know, good for her, you know, that's, it's, it's her prerogative, however she wants to do it. And she's, 
she's taking advantage of it. Yeah, it, it is a um, uh, there's this mindset out there that, well, what what has she done or what are they doing? I think there are a lot of older people that see college athletes in general and think they don't deserve this because they don't do enough or they haven't done enough, right? The pay your dues type type way of thinking with everything where I know you see it this way, Shannon, but you view situations as markets. You know, what's the market for it? What's your value? What's the interest? What is your value? What can you offer? And it's really that simple for you, right? It, it is that simple. You know, and, and, and we, we have a kind of a hashtag around our business is for the athlete, but we try to take a very pragmatic approach. I mean, meaning it's not for the athlete at all cost, you know, like on average in a power five, power five football player, and I guess basketball player too, gets around 135 to $150,000 annually a year in value through, you know, education, room and board and direct expenses, perks, et cetera. So, so there's, there's a whole value equation there. Are you under that value chain, you know, value level? Are you over that? Someone like Livy is extraordinarily over that and she deserves to be compensated as such. And, and that's where NIL is working. So when you're looking at evaluation at, at on three, you go in there and you're looking in the database and you're finding uh, any athlete, any high school prospect, and you're trying to project mm -hmm. a value. How much of it is current social media following versus possible social media following versus level of play, sport, position, <laughs> right? All those things that matter with this. Because we are seeing, we see Olivia Dunn, who's hugely successful and making a ton of money, but there seems to be a, a huge mountaintop, not a huge mountaintop, a small mountaintop of top earners, and then there's a huge drop-off for most everyone else. So how do you guys look at all of that? So, so our formula is incredibly complex, okay? The construct of the formula is very simple, and it's something that where I didn't write the algorithm, I helped design the construct of it. And here, here's the way to, to think of it in really simple terms, okay? There's three basic measurements to the formula. Performance, you know, how good are you? How do you perform on the field? Obviously should be, you know, the, the common denominator, the weight of the formula. Then there and is... And with that, I'm guessing sport matters. Sport matters. Right. How yeah. good are you? Okay, yeah. that's, that's what it comes down. How good are you? And the performance variable for a college player carries so much more weight than a high school player in the valuation. Common sense there. The second one is, is influence. Okay, and influence is just primarily uh, your social following and your social engagement. Okay, there is a metric that your social value is worth X, and it's it's kind of this whole influencer market, uh, and that is more brand based. Okay, than than it is at the school level. And the third is exposure. And exposure, are you on TV? What positions do you play? Um, you know, what sports do you play? Um, and what we've done is is that for, for sports like football and basketball, it's heavy based on the P part, the performance part, because there's a, you know, there is a top 50 quarterbacks. There's a top you know, 10 offensive linemen, et cetera, et cetera. And then we primarily use tables against those values or in performance. We know that you know, the number one QB1 is worth you know, X in the marketplace. We take all that data, crunch it up, and we say, you know, does this, does this look like this should be what the total size of the NIL marketplace is? And then we just divide it into two categories, 
One category is around roster value, and that's what your collectives are paying. Yep. And the other's brand value, and that really doesn't have much to do with the school. That's more about your reach and your your influence overall. So how much of it, when you talk about exposure, involves the program the prospect goes to? So let's say you're looking at a projected valuation of a high school prospect, and that prospect goes to Alabama or commits to Alabama or Illinois. You know, there's going to be a difference in exposure, television network, all right. of that, based on where they go. So how does that change the algorithm? Well, one of the ways that we would look at it is that we, where we're really good in the formula and why many people in the industry say that it's really close is that we build it off the total collective and the collective per sport at the school level. So if we know, for example, you know, the University of Texas has $17 million it's going to deploy through its athletic programs, then we help write the formula for how that money, you know, is likely to be deployed. Now, that collective is considerably higher, for example, than Wake Forest football. So if an athlete goes to Texas, you know, generally speaking, they're going to be compensated more through their roster value in the formula than a football player at Wake Forest. And so how do you define exposure? We could count social media impressions and we could count TV viewership. Right now, really what's driving the exposure part of the formula would be the size of the collectives. And we have a really strong handle on all the collectives and the money that is flowing in the collectives and the athletic departments. Well, let's get into the collectives because I know on three recently put together the most ambitious collectives across college sports. So how would you define ambition with collectives? I know Spire sports in Knoxville with Tennessee was the most ambitious collective. They, they were certainly in on the forefront of a lot of this and they Terrific. were out ahead of everything how do you define what is the most ambitious of these collectives and what they're doing? Let me tell you first, let me answer, I'll answer your question. But I'm going to first say this. Why do I like collectives? Okay, because it doesn't really fit. And you, and you look at it and you want to say, ah, it's a lot of boosters that are getting together and funneling money to players. That's, that's, that's really not what is happening. What is really happening across the board is that you have a lot of astute business people, you know, that are working together and, and I think trying to create an efficient market. So I'm where I started out kind of like, what is this? You know, does this really work? I actually now see it that this whole world of academia and this whole stodgy way of doing things under this NCAA model for 50 years is not working. It's not bad to look at it from this approach. So to answer your question, number one is fundraising and the types of, of funds. Is it, is it replaceable each year? Is it, you know, is it a model where that they can raise fund and there's current you know, and there's recurring models around it. Number two is the relationships with the school. And so if the, if the right leadership and collectives have a great relationship with the administration, the, you know, the athletic administration, the school, the coaches, they're really going to be set up for success as long as collectives are around. And I, I've, I've gone back and forth on that. And if you follow my Twitter, you'll see I, I really think they're not going anywhere. Yeah, and it, talking about the relationship with the, the program, Shannon Terry in studio with us on, on three sports, what Texas A&M is doing. Yep. Texas state law says one thing. They started to get involved more with the athletic department at A&M, the collective I'm talking about. NCAA comes back and says, well, wait a minute. State law doesn't supersede our law and our rules, so you can't do this. And Ross Bjork and A&M says, we're going full steam ahead, and we're going to continue doing this. What is the model right now at A&M 
How can other programs and collectives follow that model toward success? I, I, look, I, I think A&M has just kind of touched the surface of where this model could end up. So what A&M did in simple terms where they, they tied donor points into the collective, which the NCAA issued a memo and basically said, can't do this. This is, you know, this, these can't be tied together. You can't do this. And then, then state law came about recently that said uh, the NCAA has no right to, you know, to, to do anything about it. And yeah. so, and so where it works and where it, where it works in the short term is that this is a case in point where both organizations, you know, the outside collective and the inside uh, athletic department fundraising arm are actually working together for the benefit um, of the booster of the fan. And so that's, that's where I like it. Where that model is likely to go or where if, if I was running things it would go is that you've got all these issues around labor laws and antitrust and Title IX. Okay, so yep. any, any direction the NCAA goes is going to get sued. So there is perhaps a model where a collective working as an outside agency is ordained by the NCAA as suitable, can work from the outside and be a part of that fund rate or be a part of that, that process of disbursement of marketing opportunities to the athlete uh, in a more official capacity than is, than it is now, which is incredibly loosely understood in a lot of cases and misunderstood in others. How do you think, because you talk to a lot of people, know a lot of people, and you talked about your relationship with the collectives that are out there. How do athletic directors view this? How do athletic directors see this? Is it a necessary evil to them, or do they see it as, hey, in order for me to do my job of selling tickets and improving facilities and all these things, we need a good product on the field or the court, so we need good players, so we're willing to play ball here? Look, here's, here's, the, here's the way I would see it. So you have presidents – you have ADs, you have coaches, players, fans. Okay, well, presidents work for, work with, are the NCAA. So their interest is, is very obvious, is to keep that current model in, intact because the athletes are only making about 9% of the total expenses of an athlete, athletic department. By comparison, NFL players are 50% of the total cost. So they want to keep that number down for all the reasons. Okay. So ADs have to walk a really fine line on what they publicly say and what they, what they really feel. And so the private conversations that I have with ADs, you know, want to see this worked out. They want to they do what's best for their departments, the athletes, the coaches and stuff. And they see that some form of a model where Power 5 football players, maybe basketball, you know, move more towards this model that we're talking about they can't say that publicly though because they right. still are employees of a school um that is under you know the association of the ncaa it seems also shannon that no one wants to come up with a plan <laughs> it's a lot of let's pass the ball to someone else and let them deal with it it's the schools and coaches saying ncaa needs to figure it out it's the conferences saying that the ncaa is saying no 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 federal government needs to figure it out we had Senator Tommy Tuberville on the show. He's saying, we can't do anything in Washington. I don't know why they want us to figure it out. We're not going to have any answers for them. It does feel like a lot of let's pass the buck to someone else and get the rules done. It's disgusting. You know, it, it, the, the thing that pisses me off about this whole process more than anything is that it's, 
it's one organization's job here. It's the NCAA. And, you know, and it was, it was a strategic move by, by Baker when he was hired. Now he inherited a mess and, and by all accounts, he's a, he's a likable person. He's charismatic. He's incredibly smart, but tactically they made the decision. We're going to go lobby for a federal law, you know, to solve these problems around antitrust and, and, and so forth. I don't think that was a good move. I think because not putting out their plan in some form and getting it out, they've lost the court of public opinion. And so that's not going to happen. A federal law is not going to happen. And, and conferences are likely not going to be able to fix this problem because, you know, it doesn't, SEC goes and does something, you know, the Big Ten's going to do something better. And so then it's, it's going to be a continuous chase. It was the NCAA's job to fix this. Well, they're running out of time to fix it. And so it's not about passing the buck. It's step up, present a plan, and then work from that plan. Give a starting point to college football and college basketball, period. It's a lack of leadership, too, to your point. No, no one wanting to really lead and make the decisions. I want to talk about conferences possibly getting in the game of leadership and what's going on. Is there a quiet armistice going on between Big Ten and SEC to not blow up the sport? We'll discuss that more coming up next. This is Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We are back on Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow. Hutton will be back with us on Monday. I'm Chad Withrow. Shannon Terry, founder of On3 Sports, in studio with us talking about college sports. What's next? What's going on right now? People have a lot of questions. I have a lot of questions. Shannon's got some answers. We wish the NCAA had some answers and some leadership to where they could come up with the rules, the bylaws, everything necessary. Shannon, I've long said if the NCAA could just take that thick rule book they have and shrink it to about eighth of the size of it and just make some easy-to-understand rules for everyone that everyone could understand and abide by. You would, some still wouldn't. It would make things far simpler, but they're not willing to do it, it seems like. It's a mess. I mean, how do you, how do you uh, have an association that governs, you know, puts Lipscomb basketball and Alabama football in the same class? It just – the, the yeah. model – and nothing about it works. And, and – it's exacerbated by the fact that Power Five football now is its, it's, its own creature. And yeah. so that's, that's where things are going to change. So I want to get into that. So SEC and Big Ten right now, yeah. based on the power of their media deals and their, uh, their members, their, their teams within those conferences, they, they seemingly hold all the power. And it feels a little bit like you've got both – the heads of those conferences sort of looking at each other and it's kind of this standoff happening, but we've reached a bit of a, an armistice between the two and they're looking to the NCAA for guidance, but the NCAA doesn't want to guide anyone. And they're looking back and saying, okay, what's the SEC and the big 10 going to do next? And Shannon, as we sit here, I don't know the answer to that because if either conference wanted to, let's say in the PAC 12, 
by going and let's say the Big Ten said, you know what, we're going to go ahead and add Washington and we're going to add Oregon and that's going to be it. They could do it if they really wanted to, but they're not doing it. Is it because they don't want to be seen as the bad guy that kills a conference that's been around for many years? <laughs> what, what's the reason right now for everyone in this waiting game? Well, a lot of it is, you know, you got some really smart people that, that are running, you know, running these schools. I mean, as I've said, I mean, Greg Sankey is, is a brilliant yeah. and he's, he's pragmatically brilliant and, and he, is, he is set up to lead this thing. The, I think what you're going to see is this. I think within the next two years, um, you're going to see the Big Ten and the SEC, t- you know, carve out and, and move on and they're going to have to uh, because the, the current model, I think the only reason there's not more expansion right now probably has to do with the current rights deals and the sharing of the revenue of those rights. Otherwise... I don't think that I don't think any of these conferences would worry about taking on an Oregon or a, you know or another school. Dude, so and I, I agree with you. By the way, this is all headed towards a central governing body that schedules everything. Schools don't make their own schedules anymore. It's probably going to be a fifty to sixty program thing, max. Max. But so you know, right now there's not fifty or sixty teams in the SEC or Big Ten, but they certainly could break off and start their own. Is it then? selection by power and survival of who those conferences choose to allow in their new football league? Or do the other leagues have a say in that ACC Big 12, let's say, that they're now going to elevate also with the Big Ten or the SEC? But I guess ultimately it's up to those two conferences to decide whether or not they want to allow them in. Look, if we knew the answer to that, you know, that's all we'd be talking about right now. We don't know how the formation will actually occur. That's what we don't know. Will it be through you know, two or three or two conferences, or will it just be, you know, a complete meltdown of, of, of football when that's what, that's what we don't know. I think you're going to hear a lot more leaking of news this year and why you didn't hear as much, I think last season is because we still had to go through this round of federal lobbying and the noise around the potential for a federal bill. And I think, at this point in time, from what we're hearing deep inside the NCAA, deep inside the conference and the schools, that there's already discussions in the NCAA on what a plan B would look like. And so I think, I think you're going to hear more and more starting to like hypothesize what that next formation looks like as we enter this season. Last time expansion happened, the, the big expansion, I want to say 2011, 2012, right around then, it was all about TV markets. The SEC with A&M got the Texas market, yeah. and with Missouri, they got St. Louis, they got Kansas City, whether you buy that or not. Big Ten gets Rutgers, and they get what? New York City, <laughs> so, which I laughed at when that happened. You get Maryland, you get D.C., then you get those big metropolitan areas. So those, those make sense. Nebraska was a, a brand play for the Big Ten, not, not a market size play. When you're looking at brands out there now, you know, there's a lot of speculation about, well, both conferences covet Virginia and North Carolina, whereas this conference really likes Miami over Clemson and someone else likes Georgia Tech in the Big Ten. How do you view it, Shannon? Is it just a brand identity type play at this point? Does market matter? Is it a combination of all of those factors? Does academic reputation matter? The Big Ten will argue that it does with the schools they want to add. I don't know that I'd necessarily buy that completely, but when you look at it, what are the determining factors? If, if you're Greg Sankey, 
if you're a conference commissioner and you're looking to add someone, what are you looking at first and foremost? At this stage, I'd be looking at brand strength within the geographical footprint. I mean, I think it. it and you think geography does matter? You I think want to it stay does now. I, you know, at one point in time, you got to have Missouri. You know, I mean, yeah. you got to have you got you have to have the Texas market. I, I think at this point. In, in time, it's 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 probably brand strength is is what what matters. Like an example, North Carolina and Virginia. If those were additions for the SEC, you're still getting those all border SEC states. Clemson, you're not Miami, yet. Clemson, Florida Miami, State. Florida State. All great, of them great fits for are the still SEC. in the, the footprint. But the Big Ten, Atlanta, and, and I mean, Big Big Twelve is another one. You're yeah. talking San Diego State, possibly mm-hmm. looking outside of that footprint. But you're saying geography does matter. I think geography and brand strength at this at this point in time, it wouldn't make a lot of sense for you know, a UCL, an Oregon, Washington to be part of the SEC in any form. So coaches, um, I feel like I've been pushing for this for a while. That's Shr- not my job though, by the way, I have to be yeah. honest, we have no, no, no freaking clue. Well, you and it's it just, it's interesting to me because it's like playing fantasy football with colleges, right? Yeah. You're looking at, Hey, this, I want to draft this wide receiver in the third round. I, I love the hypothetical of ranking jobs. You know, you're a free agent college football coach. And which job is better than this one? The same way I lo- love that, I love trying to speculate on this program is more desirable than this one. How much do you value men's basketball in it? How much does a baseball program matter? Yeah. When you try to factor all those things in, geography, population of the states, North Carolina's population is crazy large, which I didn't really understand until looking at the rankings of all of them, which is part of it. That, that stuff's fun. They're, go- they're going to lobby for power within this new world order. And the, the most shekels on your side of the ledger is going to give you the most power and just the right advantages in the negotiations of, of, of your thiefdom. And that's all that's going to matter. Because at the end of the day, Power 5 football is going to be carved out. And what are you holding in your conference basket that when you go negotiate with the other participant, the other conference, that gets you just a little more of the shekels. That's yeah. that's the only part that's going to matter. So, we had Trent Dilfer on with us recently and you know, he, he talked about He's the, opinionated. the transfer portal. He is. <laughs> and you know, he said um it, it was interesting because I think he did a, an interview after ours yeah. where he was commenting on things he said on our interview and he's he's been very open about I'm going to be honest with my players. If you're going to claim to be player centric, then you got to be player centric and if someone comes to me and says, "Hey, I've got this opportunity to make X amount more dollars and go play on TV this much more. Well, I'm going to be honest with them, and maybe that's a better opportunity. But then on the flip side of that, he says, so many coaches out there, they are only not saying something about other coaches because they want those jobs eventually, and they know they're not going to get them if they speak out. He says, I am where I want to be. I don't want to go anywhere else but UAB. I don't care. I've made a lot of money doing do, other do, things, do we so I'll call that? them out. Do we believe that? I don't know that I do because <laughs> I think he said that about being at Lipscomb and also. I lo- by the way, I love Trent. I He's do great. Too. But nobody wants to just be at UAB. Yeah. And, Let's just call space. And also, you know, look, Trent said the same thing about being at Lipscomb and coaching. In I, high school, I, right? believe, I believe he, he was centered to be a high school coach. And then, I, I and then he got part. the opportunity and said, I want to try it. To your point, you okay, college, if Auburn calls in four years and he has the opportunity, Let's then you go. might want to take that opportunity. But do you think that now he's saying, I'm going to call out coaches by name. That if, if a staff is in my players' DMs, if they're going after them, I'm going to call out those who tamper with my roster. He said, by all means, go after my roster and I'm going to call you out. Are you buying that? Can I tell you something? Uh, you can tell me whatever you want. 
This is an open forum, Shannon. Whatever you want to say right now, here, it's here, fine. Misnomer, okay? Mis, misnomer here. College assistant coaches aren't DMing kids, okay? It's not happening. The, the number of coaches that are tampering, it's just – it is so rare it's not funny in college football. Now, our parents of athletes – you know, reaching out to collectives and their coaches and saying, hey, little Johnny would consider this opportunity if you have a place for him. Absolutely. You know, but to think that these college assistants, these coaches that are really trying to, you know, elevate their careers and generally now they're doing the right things, you know, they're not outreach. Hey, Drake May, you know, follow me on yeah. Twitter here. You know, we but need that was the rumor that what that, Alabama reached out to Drake May. And, and un offered, unequivocally. Yeah. Georgia and Alabama did not reach out to Drake May. I know the entire story there, okay? And and I'm not, you know, it's not, this isn't the public place to go into it. Georgia and Alabama did not tamper in any way to get Drake May. You know, were there conversations from from Drake May's camp? To collectives? Know, to, to, to collectives at, you know, schools? I would probably say that's probably the case. But, you know, so where do you draw the line there? What I laugh at, though, and this is perfect, perfectly in line with what you're talking about right now, Shannon, are the coaches that will come back and brag that this kid right here, you know, Johnny on this team, he turned down uh, over a million dollars. He was getting offered over a million dollars from X school. And they won't always say the school, but right. other schools came after that, and he decided to stay because of the culture we have here and what we're building and this and that. And I always think to myself, well, he's getting paid there, too. <laughs> It's not a million versus zero. Maybe he's taking 50000 less to stay at this school because he's comfortable, but he's not getting zero at your school. Most athletes aren't picking a school because of the money. That's, that's just that's the fact. And, we, and we've also seen this, this recruiting cycle, this, this kind of re-upping of, of college deals, the amount of money um, for athletes really, really went down this year. And so – the, the hyperinflated prices that started out early on have really come down. We're, we're showing a collective total in Power 5 football right at $200 million uh, being deployed over the course of this projected annual sequence. Okay, that was about $178 million uh, last You're year. You're saying so, for all of college sports? So all of college, college football. Football, football. okay. Okay, it's, it's running at about $200 million through the collectives for Power 5 football. It was $178 million-ish last year. So I think that's, what, 15, 16, 17% growth. Okay, this notion that the NIL market in itself is this multi-billion, billion dollar is absolutely lunacy. Two collectives run almost all of it because only a few athletes are getting big national brand deals. Yeah. Um, and so, which is less than 2 million per school. If you divvy it out evenly per FBS school. So, yeah. So, so the, the point is the transfer portal in itself is a great, is a great vehicle. Okay. It's got some problems to it. I mean, athletes need to be signed to, you know, term contracts and, and you know, but you, not discussed, you know, you can only transfer once until you get, you know, your, your degree. And so it's not this idea that, you know, can just continue to transfer and transfer and transfer and be eligible. So, you know, if the NCAA said, okay, no hardship, under no circumstance you get a hardship, you get one transfer and you play, if they, if they, if they um, you know, uh, administer that rule properly. And so it's not, 
it, it's not the death of football. Now, basketball, it's been kind of ugly, so I don't – Yeah, it, it's, know. A, it's, it's a different sport. And a, yeah, another, it's just a different sport. Another segment that we're going to have for another day, I'm sure, yeah. is, is talking college basketball at some point. Is A&M the cautionary tale? Quickly on Ooh. this, when you look at that recruiting class and what they did, someone had to balance the market and reset it. Yeah. And I feel like all of the defections from that class in season, after the season, it certainly looks like, and others have stated this, that – that was a recruiting class that was all in it for the money and not any of the other right reasons. No, they went – they did. They assembled a lot of kids that obviously transferred that, that, that were in the marketplace, and they did it legally. And, you know, Jimbo was very defensive about it when Saban challenged him, and Saban really had no business challenging, you know, him about it because what he was doing, you know, was definitely above board. Uh, and he assembled the largest five-star class. It wasn't it – wasn't a group of athletes necessarily that fit a culture, which he's still trying to figure out. But here, let me tell you something that's not talked about. A&M learned from it. And so what did they do? They, they went and did everything differently since then yep. as it relates to working through their collective and, and how they compensate players. They learned from it. They're not making that same mistake that they made previously. So that's called an efficient marketplace. That's called learning from your mistakes. And that's what – you know, that's what America's all about. It's America. And on, on this 4th of July week, we're talking about America Had to right that here. Plug in. That's right. Yeah. That, was the, that was the perfect ending to the segment. Shannon Terry on three sports. By the way, congrats on, on hiring Andy Staples. Great, Great college football personality and writer. Shannon, thanks so much. We'll talk to you soon, Appreciate man. You. Appreciate it. When we come back, we're going to get weird. We've got Davey Hudson here. We'll get weird with him. What does Ooh. that mean? We'll find out together. That's next. We're back on Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow on this Thursday. I'm Chad Withrow. Hutton will be back with us on Monday. Huge thanks to our crew uh, this week, getting it done during a holiday week. If you're watching right now, you're back at work, you're on vacation, you're sipping Mai Tais by a pool or a beach somewhere, we appreciate you. If you're listening on one of our fine radio stations across our Outkick Hot Mike radio network, we thank you as well. We're having a good time this week. Plenty to get into around the world of sports, open the show, talking about ESPN and all the recent layoffs, what that means about sports media moving forward. We'll talk a little bit more about that coming up later. Also, Ben Maller from Fox Sports Radio coming up and Dan Z from OutKick all coming up in the final hour of the show. But every day, you know, there was a time where this was a once-a-week segment. But I told the crew here, I told Hutton, I told Davey, I said, this needs to be an everyday segment. We need a curveball. We need a change of pace. I love talking sports like the next person. We're going to get into all the big sports issues. We're going to talk about them in a thoughtful and nuanced way every day. And we're going to give you our unabashed opinion every single time out. We're not told opinions to have. This is a 100% authentic show. We're going to share with you our opinion. But there are times in life and this show where you just, quite frankly, need to get a little bit weird. And guess what time it is? That time is right now. One of your players' urine tested positive for three separate types of anabolic steroids and a low-grade beaver tranquilizer. I'm afraid, by rule, your team must be disqualified. 
You have not lived until you've tried a low-grade beaver tranquilizer. That from the movie Dodgeball. Davey Hudson was not in the movie Dodgeball. He wishes he was. I wish I was, too. But he's with us now to get weird. Dave. I was a little too young to play Justin Long's character, but I was the youngest person in the theater when my dad took me to see it uh, back in the day, and I was like, this is, this is awesome. And I, I, can, I can see why you would not take many kids to see that film. But, Chad. Good, good for your dad. Or your uh, dad yeah. didn't take you or, or did No, he did. He oh, did. Oh, uh, yeah. your dad's um, a good man. He, he did that. I was also the youngest uh, when Superbad came out for That's a, sneak a great one. preview showing of that one. So it was, it was a lot of fun, uh, good fond memories there. Chad, we're going to do some fill-in-the-blank style, you know. It's, it's, let's make it a game show. I'll uh, give you a headline. You'll fill it in. We'll let the audience at home play as well. So we're going to get started. I like a good game show, yes. so I'm, I'm right there. And we're going to throw out an Argentine soccer player was ejected for what? Argentine soccer player was ejected for... Testing positive for a low-grade beaver tranquilizer. Please tell mm. me I'm right. You are not, unfortunately. But there is a tie in there. He actually was given a red card and ejected for urinating on the field during Ooh. the game. So, yeah, the story uh, comes from us or comes to us from Buenos Aires. I, I'm going to mispronounce this guy's name. It's Leon Overajo. I think is how you say it. That sounds right. Yeah, we go from the average Joes to over a Joe. Very, There's so many much. dodgeball ties. You know, I, I'm actually glad this guy did this because it's soccer, and while there are some redeeming qualities about soccer, there were 11 minutes left in this match, and it was 0-0, zero to zero, or as they would like me to say, nil-nil. So we actually did get some action on the field. Uh, that's, it's was one of those. It, okay, was this a protest, or did he just really have to go? Sounds like he just really had to go. Here, here was the quote uh, from one of the reporters. This was on uh, Fox News. He dropped his pants and urinated there on the pitch. <laughs> they were they were stunned. They were like, "Did he actually do it?" And one of the guys came, or one of the reporters called the official, and he said, "I swear, the official is saying this is what he did." So, you know, you're probably also asking, "Is there precedent for how to handle a situation like this?" And you're thinking, "Surely there's not." But we actually had a story in Ecuador uh, back in. I want to make sure, yeah, in April of 2021, where another player did this, and he was ultimately suspended for uh, six matches for what they considered committing uh, offensive acts or so obscene acts. Can I just offer some advice to this player? Just pee your pants. I mean, uh, football players have done this for years. Mark Slareth became famous by pooping his pants during a game. I mean, you can pee your pants – and it could probably, you just play it off as sweat. I mean, it uh, isn't, and also, if there was a, a urine stain on the front of your, your soccer shorts, to me, that's far less embarrassing than whipping it out and urinating on the pitch. So just pee your pants. That's, yeah, I wish we had. If I, had a co- if I was a soccer coach, Colin's nodding over here. He's our soccer guy. He's agreeing. I would just tell my guys, like, just, just go. If it's that bad, you're running around, just pee. Just, just be free. Let it go. <laughs> like a little kid in the pool. When it's time to go on the pitch, you, you pee. You don't whip it out and pee. This was an incredible error by this player. Well, if pee in your pants is cool. Consider me Miles Davis. A great Billy Madison reference. There Love you it. Go. All right, our next headline. You might have thought, we're only going to have one story from Argentina. Well, you would be wrong if that was your assumption. <laughs> Flight attendant blank to get back at X. Flight attendant shot the X's dog to get back at them. Not, Why does my mind immediately quite. go to killing a pet? I, I don't know what that says about me, but that's where I went. Pretty, pretty Sorry. grotesque. It's yeah. all right. Sorry, um, Sorry everyone. I mean, Sorry, PETA. There was the 
potential for harm in this situation, but it was actually a flight attendant makes a bomb threat to get back at her ex. Which is just, so, listen, there's a lot you can do. Do you, do you have more of the story as I, to where the bomb threat was made? Okay, please, get, so, get into this. this flight was going to be leaving Argentina and heading to Miami. Uh, this flight attendant, her name, make sure I get it right again. Uh, I'm just uh, struggling with D- Danielle Carbone, I believe is how we pronounce oh, that's it. that's good. Yeah. I, I like the accent uh, you put on it, too. Well, you're welcome. I, I'll keep trying well, with Danielle that. Danielle looks like a lovely woman, also. Yeah, there's a picture She's of really her. really sweet. I don't, is that an actual mugshot? Like, I, I didn't see anything that said that, but if you look at this, it's, I mean, it's, it's showing how tall she is. She's obviously in her flight attendant uniform. I'm guessing that's probably how they do it down in Argentina. I need to brush up on the law there. But the call, which we did have a recording, at least the, uh, we this was uh, translated into English, but it was, tell the captain that we planted three bombs in Miami. Stop bleeping with politics and check the plane because they're going to fly into a thousand pieces. Now, uh, apparently she did this, and I'll give her credit because she did it on somebody else's phone. Now, granted, it was her daughter's phone, which, again, they can trace this stuff, so you're putting your own kid in harm's way. But she did use a voice distortion software. So I mean, this is an, a yeah. terrible woman, okay, first off, for making a, 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 a false claim like that. Ridiculous. But maybe the worst part of the story is what you just mentioned. Using her daughter's phone... So instead of even doing this on her own, to be this cowardice to do that, you're using the voice-changing technology or whatever, but you're going to take your daughter's phone and put her in the, in the crosshairs of authorities by doing that? It's Terrible situation. Strategy, and i got to be honest, I see the picture of this woman, and I immediately think, yep, yeah, this is the type of person who would do something like this. She looks very, very angry and someone not to mess with. So probably it doesn't really shock me. That she would do something like that. Yeah, it sounds like her man left her for a younger Terrible. woman. Uh, and um, so she thought, you know well, what? Good for him. That, it was an upgrade. Yeah, good we, job, sir. We go about it. We're just going to plant the bomb. Well, not plant the bomb, but call in that the bomb has been planted. But anyway, all right, we're going we're gonna to move off of our. She deserved it. Let's just say it. Let's just end it there. She deserved it. Okay. Next, but we are sticking with the theme of a woman being arrested. Woman arrested at job interview for blank. Woman arrested at a job interview for throwing a tuna melt in the face of the interviewer. No, not quite. This one's kind of simple. But I'm going to nail one of these very specific guesses one day. One day, Davey, I'm going to get I it right. I think you got the uh, the Gator one down in Florida. We did that one time. Oh, that's right. I did, yeah. yeah. But I want to get even more specific, well, like th- that, the one I just yeah. gave. So, so this one, I mean, I only got so much room I can use for the headline, but she was drunk. But the problem is that her job interview just happened to be at her local sheriff's office, and uh, she didn't exactly have somebody drop her off. I, I want you to picture this situation. We have Nicole Snyadecki. Uh, I names, love that man. you just yeah. picked a bunch of names you can't pronounce. It's, it's, every, every, this would be the name of the game every time. Davey only picks names that he cannot pronounce. Yeah, it's perfect. I'm just going to do it like it is, man. And According to police, she showed up for a job interview at 9 a.m. at the Marshall County Sheriff's Office. This is in Plymouth, Indiana, if you're familiar with that area. And uh, during the interview, Captain Jeff Snyder noticed that she had a slurred speech and alcohol was on her breath. So, you know, this, this turns into a, this job interview turns into like an actual police interrogation to an extent. And it turns out that I'm sure she handled this very poorly as far as what she did in answering these questions. But they ultimately, she agreed to a breathalyzer test and she blew a .158, which is over twice the legal limit. You know, first off, this woman, we got a picture of her too. She's down very bad. 
So I, I don't want to make too much fun of her. But, man, just imagine saying, you know, you know what I have today? I had the, my alarm set on my phone for something. Oh, it's the interview at the sheriff's department. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and get loaded and head to that interview right now. That, that's how I should handle this day. Or waking up so drunk from the night before early morning hours that you decide to still go. You don't cancel it. You go to the sheriff's department interview, hammered drunk. Incredible decision by her. So while I I hope she gets help and all of those things, this is someone that's down really bad, and I just can't fathom making that decision. But it is good news for the people of Marshall County because you realize, like, this person will not be – they didn't say the exact uh, position. I mean, there's a chance it could have been dispatch or something else at the office. But either way, fortunately – yeah, she, she's not going to be getting that job anytime soon. Really dodged a bullet if she's the one yes. answering your 911 call. Yeah. Uh, and, and then to tie this all back together, Chad, you know, we started with the, the video of Troop 417. And because of that disqualification, they were not able to go to Vegas. Well, this next story actually comes out of Vegas. Uh, Average Joe's was able to take their spot, and ultimately we know how things played out there. Uh, back in 2004, it's kind of like the great uh, Helsinki incident of 1912. We all know how that one ended. More dodgeball references. Yes. Love it. But... So for this, this final story, Victor Wimbignano, the number one overall pick by the San Antonio Spurs, his security team hit blank in the face. Security team, and you said this was a Vegas story? This is in Vegas, yes. Okay, I think um, Shania Twain has a residency in Vegas. So I'm going to go with the uh, man I feel like a woman singer, Shania Twain, got hit in the face by Wimby security team. Please mm. tell me I'm right. Tyler, play the video. Leave Brittany alone! Please. <sighs> Britney Spears was Brittany. hit in the face. Apparently it was a backhand by uh, the Spurs security team. Now, again, I, I do want to put out there, allegedly, the police report has been filed. There's more still coming out on this story. But as of right now, Britney Spears uh, took a backhand to the face by... Uh, they released the name Damian Smith, who's one of the guys with the Spurs security team who was uh, walking through with Victor Wimbignano. They were at a restaurant, and from, again, what we know so far, Brittany came up to uh, Wimby, and I, I imagine she's having to reach really high up and tap him on the shoulder because the guy is seven foot six. Brittany, not exactly uh, a, a giant. But when she did that, at some point, the security team ended up giving her a backhand, according to her report, and so now we wait to see what happened. But, you know, just one of those things you're not expecting to hear today, but here we are. I would watch a documentary just based on this one incident. Uh, the buildup to it, the aftermath, everything. Because I'm fascinated to know why. She must have looked like the woman. We can show the photo one more time of the woman that had the Sheriff's Department interview. This must have been what Britney Spears looked like when she approached Wimbenyama and his team. If she got backhanded, because I can't imagine. I've seen Britney down bad. And her makeup's a little bit smeared. But if Britney Spears or someone who looks like her approached you for an autograph or a photo, to take the next step to backhand that person and not like ask them what they're doing or be a little bit kinder about it, that's a shocking development yeah, from, and from Victor's team. This one's probably already been done, but I, I doubt she asked to get hit one more time. Ooh. So. Davey, you've outdone yourself right there, my friend. You have outdone yourself. Very, very well done. Davey Hudson. We get weird every single day on this show in the Let's Get Weird segment. A lot of dodgeball references today. A little Britney Spears. Uh, we had a guy urinate on a soccer pitch. 
We had a woman show up loaded for a sheriff's department interview. A little bit of everything on this show. A little bit of everything every day on this show. And we still got a lot more to get to. Two hours down, and we've got an hour left. In that hour, we're going to be joined uh, by a couple of guests. Ben Maller, Fox Sports Radio, is going to join us. And Dan Z from OutKick will also join us. We're going to talk about his latest article where Bomani Jones – uh, his show got canceled at HBO, and Deadspin is arguing it got canceled only because it's too good. Well, there's a take. We'll talk about that in his piece, which is a great piece of, of media criticism coming up later. But when we come back, the NBA, they're trying to find a way to get back in your homes. Will it work? Doubtful, but we'll talk about it. This is Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow. 